0: just go to cars.com It's magical. You're listening to I Hate the Fins. I know from doing episode 31 last night that this is episode 32. My name is Keith. Thank you for joining me. I'm joined by my co-host, Zach, as usual. So we mentioned last night when we did the show that we spent a lot of time looking at the meaning behind the Dolphins tanking. Uh, the legitimacy of them getting a second pick in that top 10, depending on what happens with Pittsburgh. Uh, the fact that the Texans keep winning games, so we'll see what happens there. But when you ha- when you acquire a boatload of picks like they have, especially when you acquire two ones like they have in the last, we'll say, month, pretty much, um, a little over a month, um it's one thing to have all those picks but you can see the method behind the madness kind of when you notice that the 2020 draft is pretty damn good all things considered so instead of the usual chatter on twitter where people just bitch about what this team isn't going to do this year which is win many games obviously they've put themselves in a position to achieve just that uh realizing that there is a light at the end of the tunnel here and it I mean, I'm not going to lie. I brought this up last night. It's going to suck. This is pretty much a lost season in terms of watching competitive football. We made the joke that when are these guys ever really that competitive? It seems you get it about once a decade at this rate. So why not try something different? So it hurts now. Uh, You hope that it gets better um, as soon as the season is over. Uh, Of course, the jury's out on whether they even end up with the number one pick. So, Zach, I mean, we were talking about this off air a little bit. Uh, let's go ahead and assume they do get the number one pick. And, I mean, you're in competition with Cincinnati, who lost a close one against Arizona yesterday. Arizona's obviously, that was their first win. They had a tie with Detroit the first week of the season. Washington just axed Jake Gruden this morning. It sounds like they made him come to the office at 5 a.m. and then fired him. So, I mean, it's good to know that there's a franchise out there worse than the Dolphins in terms of what the product they put on the field as well as what's done in the front office, I think, especially on ownership. So if you hate Steven Ross, just be glad he's not Daniel Snyder. So you've got these teams and the Jets in there. And we'll also take a second to talk about Adam Gase, because uh, maybe it's just from... I've tried to view his whole stint with New York from a an objective point of view, and it's... I don't know if maybe I just had the the goggles on when he was a Dolphins head coach, but I think he might be the, one of the worst head coaches I've, I've ever seen. And I can't believe I'm saying that. I thought he was going to be so good. Not with the Jets, obviously, when he took uh, took over in Miami. So we'll talk about that a little bit. But first, I know you got your notes. So let's say they get the number one pick. There's absolutely no speculation about who they're going to take. I think everyone outside and inside the building knows they're going to take Tua Tagovailoa out of alabama so if you get him where do you go from there
1: well i mean with tua i think i think the first thing to to put out there is that tua isn't a perfect prospect um but he's he's pretty pretty damn close for what you're looking for for an nfl ready qb um i mean he has some of those same issues that a lot of young quarterbacks have uh one of the things that i i've seen here there is that he will get up on his toes and overthrow guys every now and then. Um, it's not as much as some other guys that you've come across, but I mean, remember when Josh Allen was coming out, that was his biggest thing is he would get too far up on his toes and he's just overthrowing dudes. He's cleaned that up and he's looked a little bit better. Um, you know, he doesn't care for face pressure, but I mean, for a guy his size, that's not shocking. Mm-hmm. Um But he, he gives you those things like you saw at a Russell Wilson and you still see at a Russell Wilson where he'll extend and you know keep the play alive and do some interesting things. Um, but I mean, all the basic things that you want your quarterback to come in and do, day one, um, he'll be able to do from a, a physical standpoint. Um, I think the, the question comes in from him, and there's actually a lot out there. If you listen to stuff from um, Trent Dilfer, Elite 11 stuff, where it's the... How is he going to be as a leader? I don't think he's a... Going to be a bad leader or anything. Um, he's a very actions over words kind of guy, which is perfectly fine. Um, and there was a question, kind of like some of the Rosen stuff, uh, when he was coming out of like, how coachable is he um, because he's so good at what he does? Um, I don't think that's anything that I would look at and say, oh, I'm not taking him first overall. I think he's the best quarterback in this class by a long shot. Um, I think he's the best quarterback in the past couple of drafts, and I loved Baker Mayfield, even though he's having a little bit of a rough season this year. Um, but you know, and the way that Trevor Lawrence has looked out the gates this year, he he looks definitively better than Trevor Lawrence. Um, so you know, and, and you don't always want to play that grass as greener QB next year kind of deal either. So um, taking of number one, is something that I think if the Dolphins have it, if when the Dolphins do it, you can be happy as a fan, and it's a positive step in the right direction for sure.
0: Can I jump in and uh, just a- actually ask you a few questions and just make some points, that, just some general points w- while we get into his game? And number one is, do you think he's actually going to, not that this really matters, because this is the discussion really with Baker Mayfield, and ultimately I thought it was pointless, do you think he's going to come in at a legit six foot one or Alabama's gotten a little bit better with their measurements? It's not like the days where what they say, Drake Kirkpatrick was six, three.
1: And yeah. It's like yeah.
0: maybe six, one. Six
1: flat. Yeah. Julio
0: Jones. They had listed at six, four. He's about six, two. They've gotten better. Like Kelvin Ridley, they had listed at six, one. He's like just under same with Amari Cooper. So do you think that it's going to be a legitimate measurement or is it going to be Baker ish where he's actually probably going to be in the six foot realm?
1: Yeah, I think he's probably in that that six foot realm. Um, but I mean, he he's like they claim he's six foot one, like two eighteen. I think he may actually come in a wee bit heavier. To be honest, I think he may come in the low two twenties. He looks built. And I think, yeah, yeah, he's got a nice build to him. Um, so, uh, but I think he's gonna come in at that six foot and you know maybe three fourths or something like that. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, that really doesn't matter anymore in the NFL, which is pretty nice to have.
0: No, the last two quarterbacks drafted were six foot or under. Yep. I mean, obviously both Oklahoma guys too. But So on that note, because I, I mentioned this on, on Twitter, and I'm a big fan of this trend. It used to be when, and I always go back to the 2012 draft, obviously not the examples you want to use, but I'm going to use Robert Griffin for this one. Because remember the chatter was... We're not sure he's going to come in at 6'2". And people acting like that was going to decimate his draft stock if he yeah. came in anywhere under that. Aaron Rodgers, too, in 2005 had the same thing going on when he was coming out of Cal. People were like, is, that, is he actually 6'2"? What's going on here? I think mm-hmm. Rodgers was right at 6'2". I think Robert Griffin was like an eighth over quarter, somewhere in there.
1: Very close, yeah.
0: No one seems to care about that anymore, and I think that's a great thing because, I mean, obviously nobody cares anymore because Kyler Murray... What is he? Maybe five nine? Was it? Or did yeah. they? Did they five eventually? He,
1: he's five ten on a good day. Was okay, that, was,
0: you know, <laughs> I remember when that when the one measurement came out. I think that was his pro day, right? Where he was taller. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And then Baker was listed at six one at Oklahoma. He ended up coming in about what six and a half somewhere yep. in there. Um, and you're gonna see that with Tua as well. And I like that. I like the fact that people are a lot more flexible when it comes to the height stigma requirement of the the quarterback position but one thing and i just want to kind of get your take on this too is um when you watch to a play i've always felt like i see a lot of russell wilson in his game and i see a lot of drew Brees in terms of how Uh he handles himself in the pocket as well and do you think that that's almost consistent with good players who are that height who aren't six four mammoths you know under center or you know josh allen like a six five because those guys are all close in height breeze is six foot Russell wilson i think is just under five eleven, right around there so but it seems like guys with that height and, say, and like how they they stay on their toes how they're constantly over looking over the the offensive line and whatnot like his game reminds me of those guys and they're all similar in height is that a coincidence or is that a product of being that height
1: no i i think you know, they probably have to adjust what they do and how they do certain things because of the height and stuff like that. But I mean, like, again, kind of just relaying this to just everyday life, if if you work somewhere and you got a crappy budget to work with, people that are good at their job know how to work that budget and make it work for them. That's what they've been given and that's what they they make it happen with. And people that are good at whatever you do, you make it happen and you know how to maximize your strengths in the scenarios that come your way and I think it's the same thing with NFL players and quarterbacks and stuff like that. smart talented, well put together quarterbacks doesn't matter if you're five nine or six, nine, you know at the end of the day you're gonna have limitations as a human being and you're gonna have strengths and if you know how to use those strengths, you know how to read through the windows of you know not only coverage but your alignment if you know how and when to to move up in the pocket to get out of the pocket, you know, if you have a good feel for the game, everything's going to be easier or not as challenging as people think it will be for you just because you have an idea of how to use your strengths at that point. So, I mean, I think teams are finally just understanding that like, look, the game is more spread out. It's not eye formation. You're not running two tight ends all the time. Like, so the game is more wide open. And I mean, splits even, like I remember going back to the day where like, You know, growing up and playing football, like an arm's length touching the guy next to you is considered a wide split. And now, like, you see some spread teams where it's like there's full gaps of bodies in between them, Mm -hmm. you know, and teams are running wide nine looks against that. And like the defenders are super spread out. So that gives, you know, guys a little bit more windows to work in anyway. Um, But again, at the end of the day, I think if you know how to use the tools that you have and have been given, I think you can make it happen. you know, uh, it the speed of the game is the biggest question mark. Um, being able to fit in throws that you made in college, just because you're the best player on the field, you're the smartest player on the field, you're the strongest player on the field, doesn't get you to that top level in the NFL. Um, so I think even when Tua comes in, um, and this is stuff that you, if you go back and listen to Dilfer and Elite Eleven stuff, he'll talk about that he has. He's super confident in everything he does and his ability and everything, which can get him into trouble at times. Um, And so once he settles into the speed of the game and realizes like, okay, these are throws that I can make. These are throws that I have to make with more anticipation than, you know, at college level, he'll be fine. Um, But I I wouldn't be shocked to see out the gate of his career that, yeah, he's making some crazy plays that are good and negative at the same time.
0: So, we, I mean, we don't have to do a full breakdown here, but just kind of streamlining it. Give me your, what you think stands out as the biggest strength in his game and weakness, and then we'll go ahead and we'll take that into the uh, accessories conversation that we also mentioned earlier.
1: I I think the strongest point of Tua's game is he just has such a natural feel for, for the position for the game, and I think that allows him to process things easier because... He feels things, and his body just does the basic quarterback things that he needs to do, so that his brain can then analyze the other stuff, the mental aspect of the game that gets him places. I mean, he—it's—it's a weird thing to say, but he throws one of the cleanest, most one of the most impressive slants that I've seen in forever. And and you think like it's a slant; it's like a four and a half yard pass half the time. Uh, But like, especially the concepts where they have those. Minor RPO looks for for Bama, uh, where he pulls it out and just grips it and rips it right away. Um, you know he does a fantastic job on that. I think what it comes down to for his worst attribute is, I guess I guess it's probably that that mentality of he's great at everything he does. He's extremely confident in his ability. Um, I think the first year or so, there's a chance that that can catch him in the NFL um, and he'll be prone to making mistakes just because he he could do it in college. Um, and he was just such an elite player compared to the other guys around him. Um, but then at the same time, I think he's smart enough that with good coaching, with good support, um, he'll overcome those kind of things.
0: You mentioned the guys around him, his receiver yep. core. We said this last night as stupid. uh Really, a, a group of unbelievably talented receivers, as you'll find, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Waddle, and Smith are in there. And you think about like what he had previously too. I mean, I mean, his first game when he comes in and he beats Georgia. I mean, I think that game win or the the touchdown that knotted the game up, I think, was um to Calvin Ridley. So, yeah. um, I mean, and you think about the weapons he had last year, just totally going off. Judy, I think, won the billet in a cough last year he did so not bad in that he's got maybe the fastest guy in the country in rugs if not rugs is way up there the best receiver prospect we've seen in ages in terms of just uh complete skill set with judy and then guys are way underrated in waddle and smith who would be number ones for a lot of teams in college so you think about what they have in there uh you made the joke that maybe we should just draft all those guys too. You have to think like maybe the Dolphins might try to get one of them. But what do you think when he goes to a team? And it's weird to say like you're going to a team, you're going to the NFL and you might have inferior talent at the skill positions compared to what you had in college. That is not the case for a lot of guys, but if he comes in and he, you know, he has Miami's receiver corn. let's say the Dolphins don't take any of them. What changes?
1: I think it's, again, I think you're going to have to see where is Tua's ability to be a leader at that point and to realize, okay, like, it's not about my skill set and what I can do to maximize me. It's to maximize the guys around me. Um, You know, how do these different guys play? What are their strengths? How can I help them be great? Not worrying about myself being great um, to get the job done. I mean, I think the Dolphins have intriguing pieces. You have two really quick, fast guys um, in Albert and Jakeem Grant. Um, you know, Preston Williams looks good as a big body option. Hopefully Mike Gusecki gets going as a big body option. Um, you know, that's that's kind of it at the moment, I would say. Um, I don't think Devontae Parker is going to stick around much longer yet again. I'll say that for the 7,000th time. Um, but so, I mean...
0: Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4 3 Void or prohibitive. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito
1: Depending on how the draft falls, if you have a shot to take one of those guys to give him a comfort level, I would totally do that. At the same time, I think things would go a lot further for to a to draft a strong running back. Um because I think a stronger running game would help him than you know having an all-star wide receiver. Um, I think he has the skill set to maximize it. It's going to be, does he have the mentality out of the gate to realize I need to help these guys maximize what they do best, not me and what I do best.
0: So let's go ahead and let's just take a look at how Tua affects the rest of the Dolphins draft. And we're saying he has the number one pick, so they didn't have to give up anything for him, which I think is important in light of what you just mentioned that they do need a bump at the skill positions for sure they have got some talent there you're gonna need a bump the skill positions you need a you need a left or right tackle and if you got Tua, you need a right tackle because he's a lefty so I mean there, there are some significant holes that you'd like to fill uh, at the time that you are able to draft him so we said last night at Pittsburgh we assumed we kind of just guessed where they currently are, which I think is what six through eight. So let's just go seven mm-hmm. somewhere in there. So if you had that seventh pick and you have Tua, and let's say you have some options on the board, like there are some cornerbacks who I think are going to rise up in the draft. We, we talked the offensive linemen last night, uh, Thomas and Werfs. What are you doing with that pick? Or you know, suppose I don't think I don't think Judy even makes it that far. I think Judy's going to go in probably like an Amari Cooper, like fourth overall type spot. Mm-hmm. But suppose you have seven. What are you doing there?
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's it's interesting because realistically, based on what we talked about with the other scenario where two is not available, they pick at two or three or something like that. And, you know, you go chase young instead. I don't really think my draft changes that much based on whether it's two at one or a chase young at two. Interesting. Um, okay. I, I think... Uh, because at the end of the day, again, there there are tons of needs for the Dolphin at, at this point, but why, why draft for need when you're in such bad shape? Um, in this scenario, of course, you're trying to maximize Tua and his ability and not trying to get him destroyed. Um, so the recommendation is obviously going to be an offensive lineman there. If you can get Andrew Thomas or Tristan Wirfs again, um, I think those are both very good picks. But I mean, at the same time, there could be some good defensive players there at that point. You know, Grant Delpit could be there. AJ Epinesa could be there. Um, Jeffrey Okuda is going to move up boards and stuff God, like that. I,
0: he is so good, too. He he
1: is he is really good. Um, the other corners that people may consider in that range, some may consider Bryce Hall I, from uh, Virginia. I think that's a little rich for me. I think Bryce Hall would be a really good complement to uh, X, but I think maybe at if there's a chance that he's available at that back-end first-round pick, that's where I would look for him. Um, some people really like Kristen Fulton from LSU. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not buying Kristen Fulton yet. Um, he's good in man coverage. He's sticky. He'll stay on you. Um, zone coverage leaves a little bit to be desired. He's not the most physical guy, um, but I, I think he has a good skill set. Um I mean, but more than likely, if you're taking two at that point, depending on how the offensive line was addressed in free agency, um, I think you want to shore up and protect Tua because the offensive line right now is not going to get that done.
0: And I mean, if if you're presented with a guy like Werfs, it almost makes too too much sense. I have we talked about it last night. I love Big Ten linemen. I'm a huge fan. And when Iowa is like a top, I would say Wisconsin for me number one. Iowa's was number two for me in terms of schools that, and the offensive linemen they produce. It is really tough for me to dislike Iowa linemen. Like I wasn't a huge yeah. fan of Riley Reef to put it in perspective, but I loved Brian Bulaga. Obviously, I mean, and it, when he's healthy, he's outstanding. He's just never healthy. And um, James Daniels too recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon Scherf. I mean, Iowa. Yeah. Iowa has spit out a lot of incredible guys in Wisconsin. I mean, you can just go down the laundry list of what they've done. Uh, it's in fact so much so that it's noteworthy when their guys bust, you know, and we talked, yeah. we talked about like that 2011, uh, slash kind of bleeding into 2012 crew where you had guys like Gabe Karimi should have been really good. It just didn't, it just didn't pan out, you know, uh, John Moffat same. Uh, and then, um, Peter Cons was a guy that I think he was 2012 where people were interested in him. And what he was able to do, but you look at the right side of that line at the same time you had like Zeitler and Ricky Wagner, and those guys have have or had really good careers. Um and then Travis Frederick is twenty twelve, I believe, too. So mm-hmm. um
1: Yeah, I mean, and there's a chance that you could you could be looking at depending on how free agency goes, you could be looking at a whole Iowa right side of your offensive line, yeah. with Brandon Sheriff and then, you know, Trista Worse. Yeah.
0: I think Travis, he's 12 or 13. I can't remember. I think I want to say 12, but I forget. I always forget that. But either way, I mean, you're killing it with, with those two schools. And I mean, like, it's it'd be a big deal if you get a guy who doesn't really work out. Robert Gallery, of course, is the, the one who didn't work out. He was a really good guard, mm-hmm. but he's drafted number two overall. And I mean, that dude is what, like six seven six eight. <clears throat> so, So, um, I love Werfs Thomas, too. Uh, ok- Okuda? this is a shitty thing to say, but because I mean, like I'm, I'm kind of using a, a, a player who should have been good to kind of boost up uh, Okuda, but Okuda on tape looks the part of what people told me Eli Apple was going to be. Mm-hmm. Remember, like I remember reading and the thing is like, I was watching a little bit of Ohio state that year. um, And I was, and I remember it kept, you know, the, Recommendations and suggestions that, hey, Eli Apple could be a major player in the first round. I was like, okay, I'll do more. I'll read more about it. And I'll scout more and I'll look into it some more. And I remember a lot of what I read at the time, a lot of people said, oh, you know, takes on the run, really physical corner and whatnot. And I remember watching his tape and I was like, what the hell are these people talking about? Like, he just, it didn't, it didn't jump off the tape for me. But when I watch Okuda play, Okuda is that, that dude is a fantastic tackler as a corner, in addition to all of his skills in coverage. So, and I mean, like, that is, as far as I'm concerned, Ohio State is the new corner factory with some of the guys they put out as of late. I mean, they're just spitting them out <laughs> with the exception of Eli Apple, obviously. So, I mean, that's a crummy thing to say, but Okuda, to me, is what Eli Apple should have been and what people told me he would be. So
1: Yeah, and I mean, and along with Okuda, David Arnett's been really good this year, too. Um I think there's a chance that Damon Arnett ends up being pushed into a a scrappier slot corner, potentially one of those uh, slot corner free safety hybrid kind of guys. But he's a dude that's been all over the place this year, and he's had a really good year as well.
0: It'll be a little bit different situation from a couple years ago where Marshawn Lattimore was the marquee name, and then Gary and Conley started to kind of... you know, get into the conversation. All of a sudden, you had some people thinking they liked Gary Conley more than Lattimore, of course, then (laughs) had that whole situation take place uh, leading up to the draft. And that was a that was a mess that ended up in his free fall until the Raiders took him. So, I mean, I don't know. But the the thing is, this 2020 draft, I I don't like calling a draft special. But if you're going to have 11 billion picks like the Dolphins do, I can't think of a better draft to do it than this one
1: yeah I mean I think I think the past couple of years we've had pretty strong drafts. Um, you know I, I don't I don't know if this one's any better than the last two or three. Um, I, I think they have all been pretty good compared to some of the ones that we've seen in the 2000 teens here. Yeah. Um, we, we've seen a couple rough ones in the early 2000 teens, so um, to have a string of I'd say two or three really strong drafts is is nice to see
0: hopefully it goes better for us than like our 2017 output. So Mm. that's always the one I come back to where man, so many would have, should have, you know, could have, but I mean, then you get Raekwon McMillan in there and you're hoping, I mean, he could be, and end up being a very important piece for this defense going forward. So, you know, we'll see, but you look at, you know, what could have been with Tankersley, Charles Harris just kind of feels, I mean, and you totally called that with Charles Harris just mentioning certain things and like, Hey, I mean like he might be a fancy speed rusher, but the guy's got one move and he doesn't set the edge. So I'm not impressed. Yeah. I'm not impressed. And I was like, haha, man. So I don't know. All right. So that, I mean, that's a, a decent blueprint. We don't know where that Texans pick is going to be just because the South, yeah. the South is, I mean, such a wild card. And then, I mean, in Indianapolis, just smashed Kansas city last night. You know, yeah. so, I mean, also, and that's a lot of people are going to say, like, hey, that that speaks to teams that can run the football and play defense. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Texans pick will probably fall. I want to say it's going to fall somewhere in that, like, 24 to 27 range. I, I can't see them going further than that. Mm-hmm. Um, But I mean. And the closer as you start going from 25 to 32, if it's closer to 32, I think that's a great time for the Dolphins to consider trading back with a team that wants to bump up in the front end of the second round. For sure. You know, um, I think that's a a great bait pick. You don't need to use all three first round picks on first round players.
0: Especially when you're always going to be a player. Go ahead. Yeah, you
1: have 33. Yeah. In this scenario, you, you have 33, which everybody always considers a, you know, the first round pick i mean in most drafts up through 36 to 38 sometimes is even considered first round talent still
0: absolutely and i mean not only that you have an additional second round pick you have an additional one next year too i mean like you can either i mean you can continue with that i ideally especially because i love to hoard picks i love the idea of finding a team and you think like when san francisco traded up to go get Reuben Foster. Obviously that's a crummy example, but when like you mentioned teams jumping back up or Minnesota going to get Teddy Bridgewater. Again, another horrible example. I'm not helping myself right now. But team or here's a good one. Baltimore coming back to get Lamar Jackson. Lamar. There we go. Yep. Better. So I mean you can take advantage of that. And I mean you have two twos to play with. I mean like imagine adding to that, adding a, another two or adding something for next year as well. Just really getting that that sort of tsunami of picks within the next few drafts, which it seems good teams always have going. So I don't know. And it's crazy. And, and when you think of it from that perspective, I mean, getting one is important and getting two, but think about the fact that you get to open night two of the draft. And hopefully you're not taking Philip Merling like the last time they had that pick. <laughs> oh, Philip Merling. Right. Uh, he tried. They they blew it with him, though, because of what they tried to force him to be a five technique. And he was he was a four three end at Clemson. Like, what are you doing?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah,
0: that was bad. They may. I mean, he was what he was well over. They had him playing at well over 300 pounds in that Parcells, you know, that Parcells insisted upon scheme. when they had Mm -hmm. that three four going with like Paul Solai and whatnot. I mean, it just wasn't wasn't going to work out. So I loved Philip Merlin too. I was all about that pick at the time, but <clears throat> a loss. So we're coming up right on half hour, just like we said. We're getting pretty good at this, by the way. Uh any, anything <laughs> anything you want to throw in real quick before we go ahead and uh call it a night, and then we'll resume this next weekend when you're back from the Twin Cities.
1: Yes. Um, no, I mean I think this is gonna be the talk going through most of the season. Um you know, who is picking where, what's going to happen. It's it's going to be interesting with four defeated teams right now, winless teams right now. Um, you know, it's crazy that technically the Dolphins have, like, the third pick overall or something at the moment. And, you know, they're tanking, supposedly. Oh. Um, I got something. You know.
0: Let's... Oh, all right. Let's take two minutes because I mentioned, could Adam Gase be any worse at this point? You, you know... uh um I don't what do we have uh the name for your your Jets fan friend I don't remember we had some smart ass name but anyway so (laughs) the big so I mean Adam Gase has done some really dumb things but so he started or he did not have Luke Falk taking first team reps all week up until what Friday yep and then all of a sudden it turns out Darnold still got mono it's not going down you're playing against oh by the way it's Philadelphia who's not bad, and then they just got the sh- the shit kicked out of them, pretty much. Yeah, what? In yeah. The, what in the hell are those guys doing?
1: I mean, and, and even deeper than that, like it, it. They spent all this money on Le'Veon Bell when, like, Adam Gase doesn't know how to use running backs that are are multifaceted and talented. Like, you're spending all this money on a guy that just refuses to use running backs in any way than just like run forward, and everybody's like, what's going on with Le'Veon Bell? It's like, all right, look, first of all, their, their team isn't good. Their pieces aren't good. Um, they spent a whole lot of money on nothing. Uh, Mosley hasn't played since week one. He has some weird leg injury or calf injury that nobody really knows what's going on with. And, like, I, I just don't understand why people are shocked because, like, it's the same bad things that Gase did in Miami and gase was always stubborn even when we liked him and we kind of liked that about him and i just don't get why people are shocked they're like oh my god like he's not doing well it's kind of like the same thing that happened in miami
0: stubborn looks good when you're winning it looks absolutely awful when i mean they were within striking distance they should have polished off buffalo week one it's like they've never recovered from that since then like they've just been an at just a rolling dumpster fire uh, one of my good friends from high school, he's a Packers fan. His entire family is from New Jersey, so his dad's a huge Jets fan. And he was asking me about Adam Gaze.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I want to say this. Uh, when did we have this conversation? It would have been a couple months ago. And he asked me about him, and I was like, just get ready for him to not have any idea how to use Le'Veon Bell. And he's like, what? He's like, you're kidding. And I was like, nope, you'll see. Just wait. And then yeah. lo-, lo and behold, here we are. He has no idea how to use the running back position. Just like how- He had no idea how to use Kenyon Drake. Uh, he just had a, a hate hate relationship going with Jay ja and how that whole mess unfolded. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm I'm I think it's cool when a guy's stubborn and he can stick to his convictions and he gets results. He's not getting results and he's sticking to those convictions. Like, I mean, it's the definition of insanity.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. We all expected this out of Gase. Jets fans were weirdly op- optimistic about. Getting a coach that just got fired from a division rival, um so it kind of just is what it is. We told you, sorry.
0: I'm starting to think we should have kept him if we were looking to tank this hard, though.
1: <laughs> give Give Brian Flores one more year on a good team, and then bring him in. I
0: guess let him let him beat the crap out of some other over. You know, I don't want to say overrated offense because the the Rams were impressive last year, but. Yeah anyway, uh thanks for tuning in. My name is Keith. This is I hate the fins. this is our 32nd episode I think uh, for Zach. Uh, again, thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week. We'll now that we got the two thing out of the way because we so desperately wanted to have this conversation and move past it. Uh, we can start looking at some other prospects. We can look at other case scenarios. suppose that Pittsburgh selection falls outside the top 10. What are you doing with that? um or suppose it's high enough for you to take Jerry judy something like that we'll we'll look at other scenarios the dolphins are going to be losing most weeks uh next week is going to be an interesting one they are playing the now grudenless washington redskins so we'll see how that goes uh for zach my name is keith thank you very much and we'll talk to you next week take care